Welcome to Consumed, the podcast that features casual conversations with the people behind what we eat and drink. I'm Jamie Lewis, and I just discovered that Consumed hit the top 40 of food and wine podcasts in the U.S. this past year. Top 40. Mind blown. I think you're going to like this ninth season of the Consumed podcast. I interviewed a couple chefs, a brewer, knife designers, a cheese purveyor, produce manager, fitness instructor, farmer advocate, religion professor, singer-songwriter, wine historian, and a pizza don. From Paso Robles to Ventura, they told me the story behind the story of what they do and why. Before we get into it, let me give a quick shout out to a couple of key sponsors who make this podcast tick. One is Santa Maria wine grower James Onaveros with Ranchos de Onaveros Wines. In April, James's label, Native Nine, was named among Wine and Spirits magazine's best Pinot Noir of the year in the country. I mean, I'm not surprised, but still, that's a really big deal. To taste those Pinots, head to the station in Los Alamos, where you'll find the most recent wines from Rancho de Anaveros, as well as tasty grub from Cisco Kid Catering, like classic Santa Maria-style tri-tip, barbecue plates, burgers, pork belly tacos, plus beer, kombucha, even avocado toast. Hang out in Los Alamos, enjoy James's wines, and soak up the best of a Central Coast summer. Many thanks to Rancho de Anaveros and James for his support of this podcast and his commitment to the growth of the local wine industry. For more information about Rancho de Anaveros wines, visit ranchostayanaveros.com. I'm also grateful for support from Slow Life Magazine, which focuses exclusively on the perks of living in San Luis Obispo, California. Keep an eye out for my next food column in the magazine. I did something a little different this time, and I asked a few kids about their favorite dishes and restaurants in town. I was rather shocked by their answers, and I can't wait for you to read all about it. Look for the June issue on newsstands at Boo Boo Records and Barnes and Noble, or subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Ben Arona is the mastermind behind Benny's Pizza, a takeout-only joint that sells Detroit-style pizza in San Luis Obispo. But while his pizza is outrageously delicious, Ben's life holds multitudes of other interests and experiences, like criminal justice, the Holocaust, the service industry, oil, Islam, New York City, and more. He has a tailor in Colombia who makes him bespoke suits. He's writing a dissertation on global and imperial history at Oxford. And he was once a probation officer. I'm telling you, this guy's life reads like a novel. It takes a while for us to come around to the food conversation, but the journey is worthwhile. Here's Ben Arona. Ben Arona, thank you for coming to my backyard. Hi, thank Hi. you. It's very beautiful back here. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, we planted the wildflowers. I just got a wild hair and I planted them right before the big rain happened, the one rain. Um, yeah, and everybody looks happy back here. I really like this neighborhood because of the uh, creek behind it. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, and the other house we've lived in in San Luis had the creek also, so we were creek people. Good. People of the creek. Well, so you, there is a lot we can talk about. Um, I interviewed you for a magazine article about pizza, but pizza is like 1% of who you are. Um, so maybe we start with, I know that you grew up here uh, in yeah. Slow. Where, what part of town did you so, live in? I grew up in Slow over by Meadow Park. Okay. Actually on the park. Mm-hmm. So I grew up playing um, playing guns as a little kid. You know, you dress up in the <laughs> army fatigues and all that. I don't think you could do that now. I think no. it would be a little, some issues. With... Anyway, um, yeah, I'm third generation Cal Poly. Hmm. Uh, my grandfather brought my mom over from Santa Barbara and before that up in Washington uh, Enum Claw and Buckley, and uh, he taught marine biology at Cal Poly for cool. 35 years. So I grew up on the Cal Poly campus. And I think that's maybe what drew me, and we'll talk about it later, I'm sure, is yeah. towards academia. Uh, so uh, I, I uh, grew up on campus, and I, I've seen it change over the years. I really do miss Poly Royal, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Like the original Poly Royal. I think they call it Poly Royal now, but it's not. It's, it's not, not what it anything was. what it was. No. Um, my father came over from, uh, the Valley, the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. So Visalia, Cal Poly, 
mom and dad met doing the Rose Parade float for Cal Poly. No. Yeah. Um, that's so that's such um that's heritage yeah so um grew up uh i mean yeah they they got married and and uh my brother and i dave he's older than me Mm -hmm. uh we grew up in slow we went to mission went to mission elementary Mm -hmm. and then went to high school at slow high yeah yeah so what were you like as a kid uh i was um i cried a lot i guess as a child which makes sense i'm very outspoken now so it Wait, what do you? Out. How do you connect that? Uh, <laughs> just being loud and vocal and outgoing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was very stubborn. I still am very stubborn. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, childhood was great and slow. Yeah. Um, you really can't beat it. And, and I, you know, when when I eventually start a family, I'd like to do it here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't really beat it. Yeah. So. Yeah, it is good here. I grew up in um, South County. Okay. I graduated from Maria Grinney High School and moved away and came back. And I'm so glad I did because I, um, it's really different when you're older and raising kids here. It's really good. I, I didn't love it growing up, but now I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, and it's a hustle though. Um, you know, I don't know what a lot of people do to no, own, seriously. own $800,000 houses uh, in slow. Um, you know, I remember, I think my, my parents told me they bought their house for 80 one thousand yeah. dollars, and that's right on the park over there on Meadow Park, and they're probably worth eight fifty nine now. Easily, um, yeah. But someone my age, you have to hustle to, you know, dual income type thing to mm-hmm. to buy a house. So yeah, for sure. We'll see can. where that goes. Um, I know that you have a background in criminal justice, or at least that you started. Did you start your um, academic career in criminal justice? So. Was that the beginning, I guess? So I graduated high school. I wasn't a great student. And it's funny because I was cleaning out my mom's garage a while back. And I ran across my high school transcripts. And I graduated, I think, with a 2.8. Get out of here, you. (laughs) Uh, And I was looking at the GPA over the years on it. And it was like um, 2.2. Like my freshman year was, um, was horrible. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> F's, C's, D's. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, it's funny when, you know, and uh, I went to, I have a master's degree from Columbia University, and it was a three, seven, six, or something like that. So it's it's interesting. It's kind of a, a big leap, but uh, I'm a late bloomer. What were you doing instead of school? Uh, probably stuff that... Um, Mom's still ar- around, you know, so I don't want to talk. <laughs> gotcha. No, I know. Even as I asked it, I was thinking, wait, he's local. Yeah, no. Um, uh, not going to school. Yeah. You know, um, discovering new things. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. So, uh, but no, okay, so criminal justice. Let's see. Uh, after high school, I went to Cuesta. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, and then I took a criminal justice class um, by a uh, retired LAPD officer. And uh, he was great. And so I kind of fell in love with that aspect of it. But I, I didn't, or I didn't explain what the aspect was. I guess I wanted to, to help the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had the whole uh, idea that, that um, you know, I don't know where to go with this one. Mm-hmm. We've got to be careful with my words. Um, I think it was, it was the idea that, uh, I wanted to help underprivileged, uh, communities and, and people of color, stuff like that. Um, so I, I started learning about law, law enforcement and criminal justice. Uh, I started volunteering out at juvenile hall, uh, in a program called uh, a journaling program called the beat within. So that was really cool. It was essentially a program where juvenile hall kids will write poems, they'll draw. And then every month, uh, uh, we send off all everything every month, and it gets published, and then it gets distributed to the different juvenile halls. Amazing! Yeah, so what I, an amazing program. Uh, it, it's out of Oakland, I think, and mm-hmm. I'm not. This was years ago. This was like 15 years ago. It's still around. I don't. I don't know, really know who puts it on, but it's a great program. Yeah. Uh, I ended up going to the police academy in 2004, thinking you were going to be thinking I was going to go and be a cop and yeah. all that stuff. And I graduated, uh, and that was fun. I met a lot of people. A lot of a lot of the police officers and sheriffs here in town. I, I know from that. So that was a great experience. Um, but uh, no one was really hiring at that time. So I became a probation officer. I was out at juvenile hall. They loved me out there. So they hired me to work in juvenile hall. 
I was there for, I was in juvenile hall for about three, four years. And then I did something called home supervision, mm -hmm. which is when um, a kid gets released on ankle monitor or, or mm -hmm. it gets released early. And then I go check up on them, make sure they're not smoking weed and they're in school and yeah, stuff right, like that. Right, right, Typical high school stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't like that. I, I, uh, I didn't really, um, I didn't like being in people's business. Interesting. Yeah. So. so instead of, you know, like a observational, you know, I'm thinking about your, um, the reason you got into it was to help and to support, but it ends up being maybe a little invasive. Yeah. And I think it was a lot of bureaucracy involved and mm -hmm. wasn't really what I had thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah. So um, during that time of probation, I got an undergraduate degree in criminal justice administration. And that was from an online school. Uh, it's, it, well, it's all, back then it was online and in seat, but I chose to do all online because I was working. Yeah. I was working a lot of graveyard shifts, so mm. I had time to do work. Um, and that's a great program called Columbia College, which mm -hmm. is through Cuesta. Um, and I've actually steered a couple of my students that direction. Yeah. I think it's a great way to get an undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, uh, I left probation. I left in good terms. Mm -hmm. Um, but on my own terms, it was great. Uh, so I decided to go back to school. I went to Cal Poly for a master's degree in history. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know what I was doing at all. So in it was history, a, why? Yeah. I, I mean, a typical guy thing, right? We love history. Um, well, some. Some guys do. <laughs> I can think of lots who don't. Um, I don't know. It's something that just really interested me. Um, I, I was, I've still am drawn to... Um, the Holocaust, which is a really weird thing to be drawn to, but um, I really think it's important to study, um, study the um, what what happened in the Holocaust and kind of explain the story. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that a lot of youngsters nowadays don't really even know what it is. And is that true? Yeah. So they're not reading Anne Frank as kids. Uh, maybe I think it depends on. If, if the teacher wants to share that with, oh with students. That's scary to think. That's scary to think. Because I don't know about you. I, I assume we're kind of close in age. I, uh, school, I feel like we were taught that, um, you know, at least the basics of yeah, the basics. World War II, the Holocaust. Yeah. What's interesting is, uh, you know, I teach at Cuesta right now. And, and that was one of the questions on a homework. And a few of the students... Um, Googled the word. The word Holocaust. Yeah. And um, the answers were coming up with were uh, about nuclear weapons being used and stuff like that. And, and it was really confusing to me <laughs> that they didn't even know or it was um, a very short answer that didn't really go into it. Um, so I, I don't think that a lot of the knowledge is really for the majority of the young people I've seen. Uh, really know much about it, and I wow. think I think especially nowadays with um, a lot of um, authoritarian governments mm -hmm. around the world mm -hmm. popping up even more than before, that it's important uh, that people kind of understand how you get to that point. Oh my gosh, I'm s absolutely yeah because it is pretty remarkable that that even could happen, right? And it's so not far in the rear view. Yeah, I mean it's remarkable that it could happen current day i think if you look yeah. at history that's par for the course is uh you know mass movements of people or just slaughtering people stuff like that mm. um but yeah so um i was drawn to that and so i do travel to germany almost every year non-covid yeah. and i i go to a different camp every time either in poland or austria or mm. germany itself so are you Jewish? I'm not. So it's just purely an, a real interest in it. Yeah, I think it, it runs with kind of my um, interest with social justice. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that we get out that um, these things happened. Right. We, we have to stop it from happening in the future. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so at Cal Poly, I studied uh, American foreign policy. I studied uh, oil. And uh, specifically, I started off studying oil in California. Really? Yeah. And if you really look into it, there was, you know, there's old pictures on uh, the beaches in L.A. Yes. You know, with oil rigs, mm -hmm. oil drills actually on the on the beach. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And Santa Maria, Lompoc, 
course. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think in the 1960s, they made it illegal to do that. And mm-hmm. the, we have the last remaining oil rigs off the shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so uh, I got really interested in that. And then um, American foreign policy kind of led me to the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the big oil producer there, obviously, is Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, there's oil in, in Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I was really drawn to our relationship with Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. So uh, and if, when we fast forward and get to it, that's what I'm working on with my dissertation at Oxford. Right. So, yeah. Uh, what is, is the relationship interesting because it's transactional? And, um, oh, and I'm wading into waters that I just probably can't swim in. <laughs> but uh, the fact that we are dependent upon them, is that in- of interest to you? I mean, that's a long, very long conversation yeah. we can have. Mm-hmm. I think what, without me really knowing about it and realizing it until recently or the past couple of years is uh, the corporate imperialist type mindset or the, uh, the idea that uh, a private company like Aramco, which was, this, it's a Saudi Arabian company. It's, it's since been nationalized. The Saudi government owns it, but it was started by Standard Oil. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's really interesting how America started to kind of spread its uh, its uh, fingers, I guess, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the big things. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we can uh, uh, be the number one producer of oil. We have been in the past. Mm-hmm. And we might be again. I mean, with the, with the fracking thing a couple years back, we, we became the number one yeah. in the world oil producer. So, you know... Um, Anyway, uh, so I was kind of drawn to that, graduated Cal Poly, and in the meantime, I, was, I started bartending. Mm-hmm. So that started my bartending career. I started at Black Sheep mm-hmm. downtown, uh, and I'm kind of proud of myself. I went from door guy to bartending in about four months. Of course you were door guy. How tall are you? 6'4". <laughs> <laughs> I was a little skinnier then. I'd say I was, well, I wouldn't say skinnier. Oh. I was uh, thinner then. I was probably 250, 6'4". Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you meet a bunch of people there? Characters? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of stories. I was there for, what, 2007, 2006, 2007 till, till 12, 11, 2011, 12. Yeah. So you're studying oil and history during the day and, you know, either bouncing or bartending at night. Yeah. Did you see like a duality in that or did you see, um, did you, those are very different sets of people Um, or I shouldn't say that. That's not what I mean, but different conversations that you're having. Did you feel a duality or was it all? I mean, I think you'd be surprised Um, just on the bartender side of it. Some of the bartenders that I know are, are, first of all, in in, in San Luis Obispo, the major, vast majority of bartenders are, have a college degree. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I shouldn't have said that. I don't mean that. That's that. That really isn't what I meant. What I meant more is just, you know, is it of a piece? Did it feel, you know, did you? Did it feel consistent? I suppose for you. Well, it was a good way to make a good amount of money mm-hmm. and to travel mm-hmm. and to uh, have time for school. Yeah. Now while I was at Cal Poly, I also joined uh, joined the Army ROTC. Huh. And I did that for about a year and a half, and I was set to be a commissioned officer. I was going to go and and go into the military police, which I didn't want to, but uh, they talked to me, and it was it was going to be an ed- educator type role. Um, but then um, I got um, medically separated. I mean, that's not the official term. And I don't want to get into it, but mm-hmm. essentially, a, a waiver. Um, I failed a, wa- the, a waiver, and, and the waiver process is. Um, if you have a medical issue, you have to get it approved from the Army. And, yeah. um, I had a corneal transplant when I was 15, so the Army didn't like the fact that I had someone else's cornea in my wow. eye. Wow. Yeah. Even though you probably can see just fine. Yeah, right? I mean, I had three different doctors saying, it's fine and he's going to be good. The Army was concerned um, that if a bomb went off or something, it would blow the cornea out. Wow. Which is interesting because the doctors all said, well, they don't know what they're talking about because if the cornea is going to blow out, it's, it would happen either way. Yeah. Um, so that didn't happen, but I was, I, I met a lot of friends that way. Yeah. Um, uh, but I was all set to get, uh, commissioned as a second Lieutenant. Wow. There's yeah. that thread again of, I mean, service. 
I, you know, I don't know. And uniforms, right? And he, uni- yes. <laughs> That's from my time at uh, Mission <laughs> at the Catholic school wearing uniforms. You feel safe in a uniform. <laughs> oh, what was the uniform when you were a kid at Mission? It was uh, blue pants or navy blue pants or shorts uh-huh. and a uh, uh, baby blue top. Yes. Yeah. And with your shorts, did you have a little like woven cloth belt? That's I yeah, that you know, no, thing. I didn't have the, the little yuppie belt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get you one, Ben. I think you need that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a size 40. <laughs> I'm on it. <laughs> oh yeah, my so, gosh, so ROTC, and then that didn't go. I mean, when you're doing these things, when you're when you're enlisting, uh, you know, do you have a plan or a hope that that will be your career? That that was always set to be reserve or national guard, so mm-hmm. it wasn't you know uh, something I wanted to do uh, full time. Be just because I know that uh, so many of my friends that went on to do to do um, full time um, would be, you know they they say you're going to go to this fort and go to this fort and have to move. Yes. Um, but my whole thing is to do as many things as I can in life. And just experience as many things and to meet as many people as possible. So that was just a little puzzle. And I still have great friends from that that I see all the time. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. And, and the thread also of traveling for you is mm-hmm. really big, which must make this past year really tough. Yeah, I did travel, though. You did? I did. You tell me where uh, you went. Let's see. Last month, I, I uh, took my crew, um, the Benny's Pizza Guys, to Columbia for two weeks. Okay, please talk to me about what is the Columbia thing? <laughs> you mentioned it once before. The first time I went to Columbia was in 2007 uh-huh. for a, a college uh, fraternity brother's uh, a wedding. And that's a whole other story. It's my, the fraternity I helped restart. Um, and uh, I went down there, fell in love with it. And I, um, I knew Columbia was well known for, for uh, craftsmanship, uh, bespoke type clothing. Mm-hmm. So I went and got a suit made, and I still own it. It still fits. Mm-hmm. I've had my tailor take it out a little bit, but it still fits. It looks great. Yeah. Um, so that kind of started my love affair with Columbia and with custom suits and clothing. Yeah. So I took a couple-year break from going to Columbia, uh, went back with a group of friends, probably, I don't know, 2010, 11. And then after that, I've been going on a regular basis, almost if every year, if not every other year. To visit someone in particular? Yeah, so... I do have friends down there. Obviously, my tailor that I visit every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, my friend Jessica and her fiancé, um, Andres, which is a funny story because Jessica is an ex-wife of my childhood friend, Charlie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they got divorced and she moved to South America. And uh, somehow we connected and she said, come and visit. And I've, they've been, I don't know, the past four or five years I've gone down there. Probably six or seven times. Wow. And I just picture lush jungle. Am I wrong about that? No, I mean, Colombia, if you want to go to a, one country that has every single ecological zone, uh-huh. go to Colombia. Yeah. They have deserts. They have mountains with snow. They have volcanoes. They have rainforests. They have, uh, I don't know, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, poorly. Mm. Yeah. So, well, I ask because I don't. Could I go and get around? Yeah, you could. But look at my hair. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a lot, a lot of Europeans. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Okay. They, th- yeah, gringos are, are allowed to go to Colombia. Okay. It's a very safe country mm. and the people are very, very nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe that's my next, I, we're making a list right now. And it's, it's very affordable too. Mm-hmm. You could bring a whole family down there. All you guys could go for probably... Two three thousand dollars. Yeah. So you brought the crew down. Yeah. How many people was that? Uh, three of us. Okay. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Let's take a quick detour here to talk about another consumed sponsor. Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality groceries, local produce, and exceptional customer service. Slow Food Co-op sources from local producers, ensuring they offer their shoppers great food and household staples. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and a variety of organic selections. You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop 
and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So tell me about, uh, maybe we should go to Oxford. Well, no, you spent time in New York City. Yeah, so after Cal Poly, um, I I decided I wanted to to, uh, work on a PhD. And I think that that was because of my grandfather's influence. What's that? You know, he he was a PhD Mm -hmm. marine biologist. So Mm -hmm. um, I I really, I I got my my toes kind of wet with teaching. I was a TA a few times for a couple of professors in the history department. And I just really fell in love with it. And I think I realized that... uh, Wanted, also wanting to experience everything in the world. I wanted to learn as much as I could. Mm-hmm. And academia is a way to continue to learn and, yeah. to, get, and to get paid for it, um, which it's not quite that simple. But um, mm-hmm. So I started applying to PhD programs, and my GPA wasn't that great. So there's a trend of it getting a little bit better every time. Yeah. Um, uh, and I applied to Columbia University, amongst other places. And uh, they're interesting because... They say, okay, you could apply to a PhD program, but then give us a backup program that you might want to get into. So I got waitlisted on the PhD program, which I shocked the hell out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they said, hey, we can get you into this master's degree program that you clicked that you would, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't mind going to. And it was a master's in uh, Islamic studies. So you were interested in that. Does Does that come through the oil route? Yeah. So I wanted to know as much as possible about the culture I wanted to dive into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up, uh, it was an interdisciplinary program. So I could take uh, American foreign policy classes. I could take religious classes. I could take law. I could take all of it. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing that. So I moved to New York uh, at Columbia University. I spent, I graduated early uh, mm-hmm. and I really excelled there. Mm-hmm. And um I think it's because, well, one, I, I was very passionate about what I was doing. Yeah, but helps. also, <clears throat> Cal Poly had really set me up. Um, the the my mentors at Cal Poly in the history department just really, I mean, they came, one came from Columbia University, the other one came from uh, UCLA. Mm-hmm. So they were, you know, very big uh, schools, and and they had gone through all this uh, education. Uh, at the highest levels. So uh, it really got me ready for Columbia. So when I got to Columbia University, I, like I said, I excelled. Uh, I, it, it was great taking classes from the people that I read their books for Cal Poly Amazing. classes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did that, finished early, and I, then I started bartending in New York. Nice. What did, <laughs> and what was, you must have been happy living there if you were doing so well. Yes and no. Um, so right around this time, I was engaged, mm-hmm. and uh, my then fiance moved over. She was finishing up at Berkeley, so she's getting an anthropology degree. And we got married uh, the summer of of my between the first and second year at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've since been the, been divorced, but we're we're still great friends and everything. Uh, so she moved over, and uh, she got a job at Etsy, mm-hmm. you know, the <laughs> online company. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't really what she wanted to do. You so. just never think. I never think of people actually working at Etsy. I think of it as this online. It's just there. Yeah. Thing. It's just there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Interesting. But she didn't love it. No. Yeah. Anthropology to Etsy. I mean, might work for some. And to be honest, I was struggling finding a job in New York. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I worked at CNN for about six, seven months. Mm-hmm. It was technically a internship, but it was a paid. I paid like fifteen or eighteen bucks an hour, something crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I uh, it was it, it was for Fried Zakaria, uh, who does foreign policy stuff. So it was perfect, and they brought me on to for for Islamic issues because I just finished Columbia, um, and it was fun. I, I got to meet like the president of Turkey at the time, Abdullah Gol. No, uh, I saw Dick Cheney walking through the office with his cowboy hat. Um, wow, a couple, you know, just people, foreign policy people. Yeah. Uh, so that was fun. But what, what's interesting is that uh, you know everybody there. Stanford, Columbia, Harvard. Mm-hmm. So you going to Columbia, it doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. every, guess what? Everyone went to Columbia or NYU or Harvard or Princeton. Yeah. Not remarkable anymore. Yeah, so you're not this this big fish. You're a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. And um, Some people thrive on that. I lived in New York. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, coming from public high school here and going to Vassar College mm-hmm. was... Uh, a little bit of whiplash. Mm. It was, I was very small 
in a very big pond. With uh, extremely educated people and, and yeah. very, I mean, I felt. Who, it's nothing to them. This is how they were born. They mm-hmm. went to private school. They went to boarding school. So many of my friends went to boarding school. Did not need a scholarship. Yeah. It was just really different for me. It felt jarring for me to show up there. And it was completely the same for them. You know, they didn't have any, what, they're going to a private school. Their parents are paying for it 100%. It's no different than yeah, it was for high school. No you struggle. Know? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I was I was with those people. I was also with... In the Columbia, I just opened my eyes to um, everything. I mean, I, I was in classrooms. And first of all, the, the, the class sizes are like 10 or 12 people, which is mm. insane. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Um, but, you know, students from Africa. I had a, a French guy that I knew who was taking notes in, in Mandarin Chinese. You know, Wow. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. And I know English bad English and worse Spanish, you know, <laughs> a little bit of German and that's about uh-huh. it, you know, so, um, but that was fun. Um, yeah, New York City uh, was, it was great, you know, I still have my favorite spots I want to go back to and I do go back to every summer almost, mm-hmm. all the food spots, mm-hmm. the, my favorite bars. Are they all uptown? Um, no, they're kind of spread out. Like mm-hmm. uh, my favorite food in the entire city is actually a food truck. Mm. The halal guys. I don't know if you mm-hmm. ever experienced them. Mid, they're in Midtown. They just have a food truck that they make halal food, which mm-hmm. is, um, you know, Middle East, you know, halal means permitted. So it's, you know, they make fal- uh, falafel, hummus, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my favorite bar, one of my favorite bars is Old McSorley's down there. Mm. Uh, second half, way down there, you know, uh, below the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, just kind of. But it was a grind. Yeah, you know it, it is, especially if you weren't flush with cash. I don't know why I have such a chip on my shoulder about money in New York, but it did. It made things fun. You well, know? I mean, mm-hmm. you you have to make you know a, a quarter million dollars mm-hmm. in New York to live comfortably. Mm-hmm. So, and plus the weather. I mean. I mean, what are we, what, 75 right now? We're sitting right. outside. New York's probably close to this right now. But but for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not too far off of this in, in January here. Yeah, right. 70 degrees or 65. Even 65 is tolerable. Yeah. New York in January, what, January, February, March are the worst months and yeah. gets down to zero, mm-hmm. five degrees. That's not fun. No. I remember I had to make a deposit at a bank one time. And I had to leave. I was working in an office in Chelsea, and I had to, in the closest of my bank. I didn't have enough money to do a deposit at a different bank or something. I oh no no no! I was pulling money out, and I didn't have the money. I didn't have enough in the account to go to a different ATM and pay the fee. <laughs> <laughs> I think I literally needed twenty dollars, <laughs> and so I had to walk to my bank, and I was in the snow and just so ill prepared and. Nobody was out there because it was intolerable, but yeah. it was wet and cold, and you just, it's, it is such a grind. You are so right. But, you know, I, I made a lot of memories, and uh, Maggie, my ex-wife, and I really enjoyed a lot of aspects, made a lot of great friends. You know, I still talk to some of my mentors at Columbia uh, that, that kind of helped me with the process of, of Oxford. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I really enjoyed uh, or that sticks out to me, I made a friend um, who's a fireman at, in, in uh, the F, F, FDNY, mm-hmm. NYFD. No, no, FDNY. FDNY. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, I met him at Columbia. And um, right after, what hurricane was that? The one that... Sandy. Was it Sandy? The one that really hit them, like the eastern seaboard. Yeah. So I was there for that. I flew back from slow the weekend that was happening or the couple of days before that was happening. And uh, it, I didn't lose power. I was up on the Upper West Side, up on Morningside Heights, which is technically Harlem. Mm-hmm. But Columbia bought it. And you know, that was that big scandal in the, not scandal, but thing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, but so we didn't have any issues of power. But, you know, Empire State Building, so like in the 30s below was all no power. And then it completely destroyed... Um, Breezy Point in Queens. Mm-hmm. It it flooded, and then a bunch of the houses caught on fire, and then the entire neighborhood burned down. Wow. And so a friend of mine who was, I just explained, 
Um, he was part of a, a group called Operation Gut and Pump. So you go and you gut the houses and clean them. So a few times I went and actually helped them. And, and uh, the people were so grateful mm-hmm. uh, that we'd show up and just work for free all day. And, you know, rip out walls and rip out dry, moldy drywall and floors and stuff like that. So That's cool. that really stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually just recently met one of my customers that had a Breezy Point shirt on. And I asked her about it, and she's an older, older lady. And she goes, yeah, my daughter's from Breezy Point. And I started telling her the stories mm-hmm. about me being there. And she started crying because uh, her, so her daughter-in-law, her parents owned a house that got burned down. Oh, wow. And then they went, and, and I was describing the scene. It looked like a bomb went off. The, yeah. the, the entire, it would be like if your whole neighborhood burnt to the ground. That's so crazy. And so all, it was, it was, um, Basements, right? Because they have basements in New York. And uh, uh, family photos, half burnt, and mm-hmm. toys. And it was horrible. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling her that scene, and she goes, yeah, my, my family, that's, or my daughter-in-law's family, that's their, their family home burned down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they went through the rub- rubble and was able to save a few pictures and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it was, in, it was really, really touching moment I kind of shared with that woman. I don't even know her name. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> So she was crying, so. And you ended up going to Oxford, but it wasn't for long. You did go. So right after Columbia, I was kind of bored. I I didn't think ahead. I didn't put an application in for, to continue on with the PSG program there. So I got, I, uh, the bar I worked at, one of the regulars was uh, the chair of this program in Rutgers. So he's like, yeah, just apply and we'll get you in. So sure enough, I applied and a week later I was I accepted into a PhD program at Rutgers. Who says that knowing people makes no difference? <laughs> I mean, not that yeah, you don't right? deserve to be there, yeah. but it's like maybe you wouldn't have even applied. If you but it was interesting because Rutgers, so Rutgers, if Rutgers remained a, pr- a private school, it went public, I think, in the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, it would be part of the Ivy League because mm-hmm. it was founded. The Ivy League schools are, they're called colonial schools. And if you, uh, that group, the Ivy League is a sports league, mm. right? But that group of schools that's in that sports league was um, part of this colonial school that were, the, the schools were there before the revolution. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, that's what I mean, I've is. never known. I think Columbia, uh, someone's probably going to correct me on this. I think it's 1754. What's Harvard? It's earlier. Yeah. A lot earlier. The first. Uh, 10 or 15 years earlier. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh and they each have their sister school. Yeah, so Columbia has Barnard. Right. Yeah, and I, I took a few classes at Barnard. That's a great yeah. school. Yeah. Um, um, is Yale Ivy League? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Vassar is Yale's sister okay. school. I mean, technically, then, you're considered Ivy League. No, but I'm not. There, there's actually a whole, the Simpsons, Maggie Simpson, wants to go to Vassar and she gets really upset when people say it's not Ivy League. She freaks out. Did you I'm, say, wait, did you say Harvard? No, Vassar. No, but Vassar, what, what did you say? Maggie Simpson on the Simpsons okay. wants to be, go to Vassar mm. and somebody, maybe it's Bart or someone says it's not Ivy League. And she says, yes, it is. And she's really <laughs> upset about it. And I don't want to be that person. But what's the sister, the sister school of? Yale. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say Harvard is, um, Radcliffe? No. No, no, no. Um, not, I always can, can confuse the two schools. Um, well, Wellesley or Wellesley? Oh, okay. Anyway. We're so boring right now. We're so <laughs> Talking, boring. Uh, our pinkies are out, by the way. You guys can't, <laughs> can't see this at home. Uh, anyway, yeah, so um, Rutgers was interesting because it's a private school. It's a public school now. Mm-hmm. And um, I went from 12-person seminars and sometimes five-person seminars at Columbia to 90-person seminars. And we're talking seminars, not lectures, Mm -hmm. where everyone's expected to talk and share ideas. I just didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. And plus, my commute, I lived in Brooklyn at the time, so I had to take the train to the World Trade Center, and then the PATH train up to to Newark, Mm -hmm. because that's where the graduate school is. It was an hour That's and a half, really hour and a half commute. Yeah. And then when you get to Newark, that dumps you off, out, off at the uh, train station. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Newark train station, but it's it's not the safest place. Uh-huh. And then you'd have to walk from the train station to campus about a mile. Mm. And so every day I was getting emails about people getting robbed. And 
pistol whipped for their computers and stuff. So I yeah. figured it wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you came back here? Came back here. My father was uh, fighting, uh, at that point, a five-year battle with cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had broken his back while I was at Rutgers. So I, I, it was really stressful. I said, Maggie wasn't happy. Uh, we lived in a big apartment for, it was a thousand square foot apartment for Brooklyn. That's pretty big. But mm-hmm. we, we wanted to come back. Um, so we, we moved back. We, we drove cross, cross country. We loaded up the U-Haul and we got a French bulldog named Hamlet that we got in <laughs> Brooklyn. Um, and so we drove back cross country. That was fun. Mm-hmm. We did it in 10 days. I've never done it. So is that, that's fast, right? It's very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 10, 11 hour days. Yeah. Driving. That's a lot. Yeah. And Maggie wasn't driving. So I did the whole thing. Your dad, I think I remember you saying that you had a lot happen in one year. Yeah. So, well, that comes in a little bit. Mm-hmm. So moved back, um, got a job at McCarthy's, mm-hmm. uh, bartending. And, Epic. Uh, Legendary. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, let's see, uh, applied to Quest to College for the adjunct pool mm-hmm. and I got hired. And so I've been teaching uh, history at Cuesta uh, for the past five years. Do you like that? I do. Um, I mean, I don't want to pivot to a discussion on, on adjuncts in, in college, but, mm-hmm. um, in higher education, but we're definitely the adjunct pools are the workforce mm-hmm. of academia. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Cuesta, at least Cuesta has, um, we, we don't have contracts, which is a bummer. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be best if you can lock adults, highly educated adults into some sort of job security, but they yeah. don't have that. It's, you're at the whim of your division manager. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I have a great one right now. Um, but uh, if you teach three classes, they give you health insurance yeah. and you can contribute to a pension. And so for most of my, I'd say four out of my three and a half, four out of, out of the five years there, I've had that. So mm-hmm. I've been doing that. But, um, you know, like at, when I went to Oxford, I dropped down to one class, stuff like that. So it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I go to England and I bought into their healthcare system. I paid $1,500. Mm-hmm. And so I get five years of socialized medicine, Fantastic. which I've experienced it there. And it's excellent. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I've ex- I experienced it in Canada. and It was phenomenal. Yeah. So just yeah. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then back here, uh, I have to have it. So I'm, you know. Went through the uh, American Care Act. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have an HMO that nobody takes. But if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, um, it's there's no deductible. Yes. And the hospital has to take me and take the, you know, take the HMO. But I pay $400 a month for that. Yeah. You know, a month. (laughs) But we don't need to get in that conversation. But, you know, so that's just the the very unstable part of being an adjunct professor because, you know, you get a thousand bucks a month from the school for one class, and then that's it. And you're expected to keep up with uh, pedagogy and, you know, do all this stuff on and the side. And who knows what you'll be teaching next? Yeah, they kind of just uh, fill the fill the hole. That's right. I, yeah. I've taught three different adjunct courses at Cal Poly, and it is... Um, I have so much more respect now. I have a new respect for for um lecturers i really really do yeah it's it's um there's a lot of unknown that you sign on for yeah and then you're kind of at the will of your boss if they like you or not and it's uh not always pleasant yeah um but i'm getting experience and and Mm -hmm. it kind of it's a double-edged sword um i I need the experience for a full-time position and so the whole, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, our, our next conversation is going to jump into Benny's and I know and, there, we <laughs> I are going to get to food at some <laughs> point. <laughs> yeah, I just cut half of this shit out. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, uh, I got into Oxford. I, I've been applying to Oxford for years and years and years. I guess this will be a good segue into Benny's. So, um, I'm at Cuesta, I'm at McCarthy's, but I know that I want to do something else. I want to I want to learn more. I want to achieve more. I want just a different life. Plus, staying up late in the bar is horrible. Um, Before we jump into Benny, so that year that you referenced that was just horrible for me was 2016. Um, Maggie and I, my wife, were having issues. Um, We decided to split. And this is August. Is it August or September? Right around then. Literally a week later, grandma, my mom's mom, 
goes into hospice care. She passes away. Mm-hmm. She was 89 years old. So she'd been fighting cancer for years. Um, it was time for her. Mm-hmm. You know, she went. And my dad had been on and off in the hospitals um, for seven years or something crazy like that. And every time he'd go to the hospital, okay, he's in there. He's going to be let out, whatever. But this time was different. So a week after grandma died, dad goes in the hospital and they're like, it's, he has three days. And it's kind of crazy. Sometimes those estimates are spot on because he died in three days. But, um, yeah, it was uh, uh, liver cancer from what's called steatohepatitis, which is fatty liver disease, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people have. I, it's hereditary, so I actually have it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The doctor says just don't get too fat, (laughs) I guess. Just watch it. (laughs) Just watch it. And and, uh, that's that's the way to combat it right now. Um, So within a month, uh, we filed for divorce. Grandma died and my dad died. Yeah. Yeah. My dad died in the same room that my grandma died in because they they brought... uh, you know, we we dealt with the with the it wasn't lost breed. It was uh, whatever old folks home that is on Augusta. Anyway, they were great, and we had just finished negotiating because you know you kind of have to pay cash for some of that stuff. I think actually, Grandma Medicare covered Grandma's, but with Dad, we had to negotiate a price. But it was like, hey, we're gonna put him, put him in the same room that Grandma was mm-hmm. in. That was kind of creepy, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, he, he passed. The whole family came, and and he passed away. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that was just a really hard month, and it took me a while to recover from that. I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. And it's really not that long ago either. Yeah, four or five years. <clears throat> yeah. So. Well, so we really should talk about All right. food. All right. <laughs> so you make these massive slab Detroit-style pizzas um, that I feel like everybody knows about, and they're really almost – somebody asked me to describe one recently. I said it's almost more like expect lasagna. I mean, it's yeah. really more – you, if you're picturing pizza in your head and you're picturing like Woodstocks or something, that yeah. is not what this is. This yeah. is something else. Um, how did that start for you? So before I moved to New York, I had a friend in Slow. He has since moved to St. Paul. And he is a brewer and he works at Surly Brewing. He worked at Firestone Brewing for years. His name is Will. And Will loves to cook. He loves to smoke ribs, meats, mm-hmm. cook pizzas, all that stuff. So Will is originally from, he might kill me if he hears this, not Wisconsin, Minnesota, somewhere in Minnesota, mm-hmm. I think. So that pizza is just a regular thing out there. Yeah. <clears throat> and so he started making it and uh, he just gave me the recipe. Mm-hmm. And so this is probably seven, eight years ago. And so I was just making the pizza at home. I'd make it every month or so. Because you liked it. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was super easy. I have a you know, KitchenAid at home. You know, you just mix mm-hmm. up the dough. You let it rise, all that fun stuff. A couple years ago, about two years ago, no, 2019, I was making it for friends. So I'd just say, hey, just recoup what I'm spending on it and come pick it up. Mm-hmm. That turned into a little bit more and a little bit more, a little bit more. People wanted them, right? <laughs> so I was <laughs> starting to actually sell them out of my house. Mm-hmm. And um, I figured I, I, need a, I need to go legit or I need to stop selling pizza for my house. We need to get married or break up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that, that's a bad ultimatum. But yeah, uh, <laughs> it never works. Um, yeah, so, um, that, uh, so right around that time, um, where am I at here? Right around that time, uh, a friend of mine who is, in, who is renting a building in that shopping center where my shop is mm-hmm. said hey there's a papa john's here the guy hasn't paid rent in he hasn't been there for a year and a half he hasn't paid rent in a while so they're, they're making the steps to formally evict and i think you should go and put leave the guy a note and say hey i want to buy your equipment from you so sure enough i left a note i talked to the landlord the landlord was like hey we just want to start making collecting rent yeah. you know so we're on your side so i negotiated with the old owner of papa john's um to buy some of the equipment in there. So buy the hood, buy the Mm walk-in, some of the sinks. And uh, he was more than happy to do it because he owed the landlord a bunch of money and (laughs) didn't want to do the court thing. So, yeah, that's how Benny started. Um, Super generic, just name and super generic branding, Benny's Kitchen, nothing special. I love it, though. And, uh, yeah, and so I signed the lease in February 20, and COVID happened a month and a half later. Mm -hmm. So my... My whole goal of that kitchen wasn't to serve pizzas. Maybe I'd do it once once in a while because I still wanted to build um, 
Questa and everything else. Yeah. And, and I wasn't sure about Oxford. You know, I had an application in for Oxford. And like I said, I've been trying, I had been trying at that point three years now to get in Oxford and Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And uh, I chose those schools because uh, they really chose me, so to say, because my topic has to be researched at those schools. Mm-hmm. The archives are there and the specialists are there. So. I wondered why. Yeah, okay. yeah. So um, uh, my main goal for that commercial kitchen space was to rent it out to people. And, uh, I've, you know, weddings and parties in this area are huge and it's just getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. This is all before COVID. So I figured, oh, I'll just go in there and I'll, I'll – uh, I'll run it out to caterers, and then that will be a business, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And sure enough, COVID happened, yeah. and uh, no, no caterers, caterers, no yeah. more any of that stuff. So I started doing pizza twice a week. So that was never your, you never had, well, you strike me as somebody who's pretty entrepreneurial, like sees the opportunity. Yeah. Um, so your idea of making money there was to rent it out, yeah, not to make pizzas. Yeah. Or make pizzas once in a while. Are you happy that you had that skill to be able to... I mean, it's gone nuts since COVID, right? Yeah, it's gone nuts. It's starting to slow down now because things are yeah. starting to open. But yeah. um, when, when I say slow down, it just means it takes me f- six hours to sell out instead of 45 minutes Isn't like, that it, crazy? like it did all last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. I got real lucky because... A lot of people were really hurting from it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I never went after any of the any of the loans, anything like that, because I felt that other places could use it or yep. the grants. I didn't apply for any of those because yeah. I was doing just fine. But yeah, no, it it grew. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and uh, something I really appreciate. I feel like I I learned a little bit more about who you were and your style when you told me I don't do anything special. I mean, meaning like for a customer, I don't do gluten-free. I don't do dairy-free. I do red sauce. I don't do like white or garlic or anything like that. These are the toppings I have. You're going to eat this pizza or you're not going to have my pizza. And not not out of like an antagonistic place, but just simplicity. And this is how we make it. And if you want something else, there are lots of other places you could go. I think, you know, I've been in service since service industry since I was 15. Uh, My first job was a bus boy at Golden China, if you remember that restaurant. Yeah, on Hygera. I think it's a (laughs) bank now. No, Mar- is it Hi- yeah, Higuera, Higuera and, and um, It's been multiple things yeah. in that, but Golden China, wow. Yeah. I sat there where the next boyfriend went to. We had a big argument there one time. That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, no, um, I mean, I've been in service and, and, I've, and I've seen so many business owners uh, fail because they've tried, they, because they, they give in to the public's demands and not say, I mean, that's a, that's a interest, that's a, interesting thing to tread into but uh you know you need people to buy your product and want to buy your product mm-hmm. um but my philosophy has always been um to not not bend over backwards for a customer um that might sound bad and in reality if if i mess up your pizza or you you really need something yeah i'm gonna do it for you i'm gonna help <laughs> you out right i'm not like a like a like a mean person or anything Mm-mm. but i think the attitude has gotten really off off topic uh and out of control where people come into a restaurant and all of a sudden the wait staff and every and the owner and everyone else is their servant and mm-hmm. and there's this attitude of smugness and, and everything else and and I think that it's extremely important that people remember that people in the service industry first and foremost are people. Yeah. yeah. And they're ugh, grossly underpaid people. Mm-hmm. And they're working their butts off. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make you happy, and uh, you know they're living off tips, and uh, you know people who don't tip, Yelp reviewers, all that kind of stuff. It's just like super frustrating for me. So uh, my attitude is that you know what, this is what I have. This is what I'm offering you. It's a great product. These are the times I have for you. When it's sold out, it's sold out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I have done favors for people that have brought in. Um, gluten-free cheese or uh, vegan cheese, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I've made, I've messed around with gluten-free. Um, but it's just right now I don't have the, the capability to do that. I also have it set up and I've, and, and I've done this because I've seen so many people fail and throw away food. I don't, I don't throw away any food. Mm-hmm. None of my fresh food is ever thrown away. Yeah. Uh, even when I make doughs at the end of the night, I, I have to make extra dough because of the process of the, 
rising in the pan and yeah. stuff like that. I cook those and I freeze them and then I sell them every week. Yeah. You know, so there's zero waste in my shop. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah, yeah. We have a big food waste problem. It's something like, I just read it a couple days ago, it's 40% of food on on the planet is wasted. Yeah. That is so, 40%. And it probably comes from uh, us and and some, uh, United States and some Western countries. Maybe it was just the U.S., I don't know, but... It's bad. Yeah. However you look at it, it's really yeah. bad. So I appreciate that. And it also just keeps everything really fresh. You know, mm-hmm. I, I order food once a week and, um, yeah. Yeah. And ev- everything's made to order, you know. I forgot to mention that, yeah, you, there's only specific times that you can pick up. It's all really prescribed in a good way. I mean, you you sign up for it, you show up, you get it, you don't have to wait, really. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a few minute wait but that's uh, at nothing. the most. And that's just because of COVID and, and just getting in there and actually like, you know, you can only serve one person at a time. You, know, yeah. you can only get out and take their money, you know, yeah. so much. So, Well, what's next? I mean, you have such a varied set of interests and... I don't know, this feels like a big accomplishment, just even starting up a, a, you know, a restaurant. That's what it is. Um, What is next? So I got into Oxford and I did, uh, I started last October in Oxford and Oxford really wanted students to come, which was, I, in my feeling, a huge mistake. And it made a lot of people mad because when I showed up in Oxford, I, I had stopped doing Bennings. I said, hey, guys, I'm stopping Bennings for two months. I'll be back in two months. That's how Oxford works. Two months on, six weeks off. Uh, and they want you to leave. They're like, leave campus when you're on, you know, when you're on break. So I, I halted Bennings, right? And I went to Oxford, and everything was closed. It was, I was sitting in my room the entire time. It was a complete waste of money, a waste of time. So then they let me do it online. So I came back, and I restarted Bennings, and you know, everything's jumping again. Knowing that everything's going to be open this summer, um, and I can't make a huge announcement, but I am currently in escrow on a building with a liquor license. So I, I do want, uh, we are, and I brought on two partners. Mm-hmm. So this was, I was a sole proprietor. I was doing everything myself, essentially. Uh, and so we're going to transition over to a bar restaurant setting. But it's going to be very loungy, very East Coast style, kind of influenced by my, my life. But I also think that slow kind of needs that, like a quasi divey, but a very f- safe, family friendly place. Totally. With big booths, and you can get a cocktail if you want. And we're gonna put a back patio out there. So I think it's 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 perfect timing to transition over to a sit down yeah. because, like I mentioned earlier, I was starting to slow down mm-hmm. because there's more options for people now. Yeah. And this is a I have a base of a few thousand people in my Facebook group. That are, seem pretty loyal. I get accused of running a pizza cult sometimes, which is interesting because I don't. <laughs> this is just my my marketing strategy was on Facebook, so that's the plans. Yeah, yeah, that's so exciting. And pizza is that it's going to be pizza, but then it's going to be different sauces. Mm-hmm. We're going to expand the menu, not crazy though. We're not, you know, we're still going to keep that low waste. Um, but it's going to be a lot of my favorites. So like, really good chicken wings. Yeah. Uh, you know. A locally owned chicken wing place. I don't think that there's really any of those in town. There's Buffalo Wild Wings and there's the Wing Stop, but that's yeah. corporate stuff. We don't yeah, want that. Right. Um, I remember the old Shakey's. Let me think here. The old pizza parlors. I mean, I know of Shakey's. Yeah. On no, it was uh, where the Cowgirl Cafe is now. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, I right. want it to be that kind of environment as far yes. as in... Um, Shakey's. Oh, my Yeah, the, the red plastic cups. The, yep. Arcade? Um, no, I, maybe. I mean, I have a Miss Pac-Man game, so we oh, might move that yeah. in there. That might be the extent of it. That's okay. But a family-friendly place, you know, sponsor softball teams. Yeah, it's like a pizza parlor. Yeah. Less, uh, yeah. Oh, I love yeah. it. So that's that's the future plans, and I'm going to be going back to Oxford okay. in October, mm-hmm. middle middle October. So I'm bringing on a couple partners. I can't name them mm-hmm. yet, uh, but they're very experienced in bar and restaurants, so. I'm so excited. Yeah. Good for you. And, and yeah, being able to run it from, not run it, but, you know, have a business from afar. If yeah. anybody can do it, I think. I think Benarona can do it. I hope so. Yeah. You are so delightful. Thank you for sharing your life with me and yeah. everybody who listens. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, wait. No, wait. Yeah. Hold on. I ask, wow, I'm out of practice here. I ask everybody who's on, 
what would be the last thing you eat if you were on your deathbed and you wanted to celebrate your life with a meal? What would it be and who would you have it with? Is that a dead or a live person? <laughs> I guess a live person, right? I don't care. That's like one of those hypotheticals. No, anybody. Um, shoot, good question. Well, I'd say my father and probably... Uh, he used to cook tri-tip. Mm-hmm. So probably tri-tip with um, San Luis sourdough, sourdough bread, yes. garlic bread. And <laughs> this is just nostalgic. I don't necessarily eat any of this stuff anymore. Yeah. But um, the um, remember the old F. McClintock's camp beans? Yes. Remember those? Yeah. yeah. So that. Oh, my gosh. That would be it. A real um, Central Coast yeah. heritage meal. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Thank you. Glad You're I remembered welcome. that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. That wraps up another episode of Consumed. If you like what you heard and you think more people should hear it too, please review the podcast wherever you like to listen. Because remember that thing I said about being in the top 40 food and wine podcasts in the US? Yeah, truly, thank you for listening. To learn more about Consumed, to see photos of my guests, and get links to their many projects and businesses, please visit letsgetconsumed.com. As always, special thanks to Chris Lambert, who edits this podcast, even though he's already outrageously busy with lots of other stuff. And thank you to everyone who lets me into their life for an hour each episode. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.